hello and welcome to the lives and styles of old Hollywood. Today I want to feature an actress that I did not know before and I do know that I say that about most people that I cover in this podcast but Marion Davis really was not on my radar and I am very happy that I have discovered her. Because Marion Davis was probably the most publicized and hyped actress of all of old Hollywood. And that was due to her connection to publishing mogul William Randolph Hearst. She was a very talented actress, especially a talented comedian. She was a producer, a screenwriter, a very savvy businesswoman and a philanthropist. So we should know about her. So let's dive right in. Marianne Cecilia Duras was born on January 3rd, 1897 in Brooklyn. She was the youngest of five children in the Duras family. Her father, Bernard J. Duras, was a lawyer and a judge in New York City. Marianne had three older sisters, which were called Ethel, Rose and Rain. Tragically, she also had an older brother, who was called Charles, but who drowned, and his name was later given to Marianne's nephew, the later famous screenwriter Charles Lederer. Marianne's education took her to the Sacred Heart Religious Convent near the Hudson River, New York, and later to a religious convent in Tours, France. However, her academic studies were a source of constant unhappiness for her, as she was supervised by Catholic nuns. And I totally feel that. I wouldn't feel very comfortable about that and not very happy. Very interesting about Marianne's family is that they had a very close association with architect Stanford White. And Marianne grew up hearing about the infamous Evelyn Nesbitt sex scandal, which was one of the most prominent scandals of the era. Little side note, who was Evelyn Nesbitt and what was the scandal all about? Evelyn Nesbitt was a famous model during the Victorian age, and she was the prototype of the Gibson girl. She was raped at the age of 16 by a very much older admirer who happened to be architect Stanford White. He had groomed her and used her and abused her for years. Almost a decade later, Evelyn Nesbitt's then-husband shot White in public and was trialed twice. In the aftermath, he was expatriated and had to move to Canada. And fun fact... Evelyn Nesbitt and John Barrymore, also a very famous actor of old Hollywood, were actually lovers when they were very young, and Evelyn Nesbitt's mother didn't want them to marry. But they rekindled their romance almost 30 years later. I found that very touching, and it ties back to old Hollywood. So as a child, Marion struggled with a stutter, which made her school life miserable because her classmates and her teachers teased her. Eventually, though, she convinced her mother to allow her to leave school early to escape this constant teasing. And it was during her teenage years that Marion decided to pursue a career as a showgirl. She was inspired to do so by her sister, Wren, who had adopted the stage name Davies after seeing a billboard advertisement for Valentine Davies. Marion followed suit and her journey as Marion Davies into show business had begun. Marianne's career in entertainment took off when she began working as a chorus girl in productions such as Chin Chin in 1914, where she made her Broadway debut at the Globe Theatre. When not dancing, she also modeled for various famous illustrators of the time in New York. 
Two years later, in 1916, Marion Davis signed on as a featured player in the Sigfeld Follies. However, her persistent stutter posed challenges when it came to delivering lines, so she was primarily relegated to dancing routines. And it was during her time in the Sigfeld Follies, while performing at the New Amsterdam Theatre in New York City, that Marion first caught the eye of newspaper tycoon William Randolph Hearst, who became infatuated with her. Hearst's pursuit of Marion continued as he sent her gifts and flowers. Allegedly, Hearst, who was already married at that time, went to the show of the Siegfeld Follies every night for eight weeks straight just to see Davies dance. In 1918, Hearst eventually formed Cosmopolitan Pictures in Hollywood just for Davies, and he asked her to sign a contract. And only then they started a relationship, while Hearst was still married and the father of several sons. Hearst used his vast publishing network to promote Davies and her movies, and also his magazines and the newsreels to tout her social activities. A Los Angeles Examiner reporter was even assigned to recount Marion Davies' daily exploits in print, and he used the powers of Hedda Hopper and Luella Parsons in the process as well. Marion Davis was well off, not only because she had a liaison with Hearst, but also some of her films were very successful at the box office. She is said to have earned 10,000 US dollars a week, and she had by far the largest bungalow of all actors in the studio, which boasted 14 rooms. Despite sharing opulent homes across Southern California and Europe for the next 30 years, Davies and Hearst never officially married. This was because Hearst's wife refused to grant him a divorce, or to put it better, her settlement requests were not acceptable to Hearst. So Marion Davis stayed mistress for a long time. Lita Cray, Charlie Chaplin's second wife and friend of Davies, recounted a conversation in which Marion Davis expressed her feelings about Hearst. And she said that he neither was the best lay nor the most charming, and she did not need more money, and she disliked many things about him, like his snoring or his wife. But Hearst gave her the feeling of being worthy, of being important to him. And that was the reason she would never leave him. And she didn't. Nevertheless, both Davies and Hearst engaged in other relationships while living together. Davies had romantic liaisons with fellow actors Charlie Chaplin, Dick Powell, and others. Hearst, on the other hand, had a relationship with chorus girl Mabel Soar. And according to Lise Brooks, a close friend of Davies, Davies was deeply upset by Hearst's public promotion of Soar's career, similar to the attention he had previously given to Davies. Over the next decade, Marion Davis appeared in 29 films, with notable roles in films like When Nighthood Was in Flower in 1922 and Little Old New York, which ranked among the top box office hits of their time. She was hailed as the number one female box office star and crowned the queen of the screen. As the years passed, though, Hearst's relentless efforts to promote Marion's career sometimes had a detrimental effect – and his jealousy led to restrictions on her on-screen interactions and roles. And this period saw Marion's career primarily in historical dramas, contrary to her comedic inclinations, because she was very talented at delivering a lines at just the right time and in just natural comedy. 
Hearst and Davis gained notoriety for hosting extravagant soirees at Hearst Castle, where they entertained prominent figures from Hollywood and the political sphere. They resided in the San Simeon estate in Beverly Hills, which consisted of five buildings with 110 rooms and 55 bathrooms. And it was surrounded by gardens, several tennis courts, as well as two swimming pools. George Bernard Shaw is credited to have said, this is what God would have built if he had had the money. And they spent time in St. Donat's Castle, which was a medieval castle in the Vale of Clamorgan in Wales. After seeing photographs in Country Life magazine of this castle, Hearst bought it in 1925, spent a huge fortune renovating and modernizing it, and gave Davies the castle as a gift. When she received it, it had been converted into a palatial country estate. Their parties together were legendary. Along with Mary Pickford, Marion Davis was considered the best hostess in Hollywood. She received crowned hats as well as celebrities of the period. Some name dropping here, it was Charlie Chaplin, Cary Grant, the Marx Brothers, Greta Garbo, Buster Keaton, Mary Pickford herself, Jean Harlow, Clark Gable, Eleanor Glynn, Hedda Hopper and Luella Parsons. But also politicians like Calvin Coolidge and Winston Churchill as well as adventurer Charles Lindbergh or author P.G. Wodehouse would be there as guests. Visitors gathered each evening at Casa Grande for drinks, dined and then watched the latest movies in the theatre, before retiring to luxurious guest houses. The castle, though, was under almost continual construction from 1920 until 1939, with work resuming after the end of World War II until Hearst's final departure in 1947. So it's almost 30 years of building and constructing it. The advent of sound films posed challenges for Marion Davis, given her persistent stutter. Nevertheless, she continued to make films during the early sound era, with roles in movies like The Floridora Girl and Going Hollywood alongside Bing Crosby. Despite her talent and contributions to Hollywood, Marion's career was hindered by Hearst's insistence on her playing dramatic historical parts instead of comedic roles she completely excelled in. By the late 1930s, Marion's career began to decline. On the one hand, because of Hearst's influence, and on the other hand, because of her personal tragedies. And one of those was the death of her niece, Peppy Lederer. Lederer was a lesbian who maintained romantic relationships with Marion Davies' close friend Louise Brooks and actress Kay McKinnon. She was very often at the estate of Davies and Hearst, and she was a wild thing who got away with many mischievous things. She even once stole the red wig of Eleanor Glynn. But when Hearst learned about her lesbian affairs, he sent her to a sanatorium. It was just the next day that she jumped to her death. Marion Davis's final film for Warner Brothers was Ever Since Eve in 1937, and after a brief hiatus, she officially retired from acting. By 1937, the tables had turned, William Randolph Hearst found himself in dire financial straits, drowning in a staggering $126 million debt. And to convert that into today's currency, it would be $2.5 trillion that he was in debt. To aid Hearst, Davis sold her jewelry, stocks, bonds, and she wrote a check for $1 million to him. Consequently, though, the dissolution of Hearst's Cosmopolitan Pictures in 1938 marked a turning point for Marion Davies. She bid farewell to the film industry and sought refuge in the big estate of San Simeon. 
In her autobiography, Davies would later claim that her decision to step away from acting was driven by her desire to become her companion after years of working in the movie business. However, Davies, known for her unwavering ambition, faced a harsh reality as she reached the age of 40. She could no longer portray the youthful heroines that had defined her earlier career. At gatherings in San Simeon, particularly when under the influence of alcohol, Davies often bemoaned her retirement and directed her frustrations at those she believed had played a part in her perceived career decline. As time went on, Davies grappled with a growing alcohol problem, which spiraled further during the late 1930s and throughout the 1940s. She and Hurst retreated into an increasingly secluded existence, all while maintaining the facade of gracious hosts. Yet, as one observer noted, the life had gone out of their performances. During World War II, the couple primarily resided at Hearst's Northern California estate in Ventoon, only returning to San Simeon in 1945. And in 1947, Davies and Hearst left San Simeon for the last time and moved to Davies's home in Beverly Hills. Davies cared for Hearst until his death. Tragedy struck on August 14, 1951, with Hearst's passing at the age of 88 after being together for over three decades. And if that was not bad enough, Marion Davis recounted the day of his death as a nightmare. The evening prior to his death, their home had been bustling with a multitude of people. And this gathering deeply distressed Marion as she felt overwhelmed by the noise and commotion caused by the numerous family and friends who had gathered. And she was very conscious that this would disturb her rest. Marion got so upset that she required sedation to calm her nerves. When she eventually awoke, she received the somber news from her niece, Patricia van Cleef Lake, and Patricia's husband, Arthur Lake, that Hurst had passed away. During the night, his sons had carried his dead body out of the house and she never saw him again. Marion was not permitted to attend Hurst's funeral. She later said about this event, I loved him for 34 years and I didn't even get to say goodbye to him. And I get goosebumps now. That's from me. <laughs> in his will, Hearst ensured Davis's financial security, bequeathing her 170,000 shares of Hearst Corporation stock and 30,000 additional shares from a trust fund he had established for her in 1950. This temporarily vested her with a controlling interest in the company. However, shortly after, Davies chose to relinquish the stock voluntarily, selling it to Mrs. Millicent Hurst, the widow of William Randolph Hurst, for a mere dollar. She retained her initial 30,000 shares and maintained an advisory role within the corporation. With her newfound financial independence, Davies ventured into property investments. She became the proprietor of the Desert Inn in Palm Springs, and acquired several properties in New York City, including the Squip Building at 5th Avenue and 58th Street, the Davies Building at East 57th Street, and the Russ Building at East 55th Street, etching out a new path in the post-Hurst era. Just 11 weeks and a single day after Hurst's demise, Davies entered into marriage with Sea Captain Horace Brown on the 31st of October 1951 in Las Vegas. Brown was a cousin of Hearst and apparently very much looked like Hearst himself. However, their union proved to be far from blissful. Their marriage was marred by unhappiness, leading Davies to initiate divorce proceedings twice. Despite Brown's admission that he had treated her poorly with a self-deprecating I'm a beast, 
the Davies inexplicably took him back. In 1956, after years of heavy drinking, Davies suffered a minor cerebral stroke that left her changed and less vibrant than before. Three years later, she was diagnosed with cancer. Her last appearance was in 1960 on Hedda Hopper's Hollywood. During her battle with cancer, her friend Joseph P. Kennedy, the famous father of the later president JFK, arranged for specialists to care for her. Shortly after, she underwent surgery. Unfortunately, she fell during her recovery period and broke her leg. She never got back to full health and died a mere months later. Her funeral was attended by over 200 mourners, including many of her old Hollywood friends like Mary Pickford, Harold Lloyd, Charles Buddy Rogers, Glenn Ford, Kay Williams and Johnny Weissmuller. An interesting fact about Davis is the so-called Hearst Davis love child. There are rumors dating back to the early 1920s that have hinted at a secret child born between 1990 and 1923. This child, later identified as Patricia Lake, publicly presented herself as Davies's niece. You remember? That was the person who gave her the news that hers has died. Patricia Lake passed away on October 3rd, 1993, due to complications from lung cancer in Indian Wells, California. Shockingly, just before passing, her son made a stunning revelation claiming that Lake disclosed her true parentage, asserting she was indeed the biological daughter of Davies and Hurst. Astonishingly, no public acknowledgement of his alleged paternity ever surfaced, even after the deaths of Hurst and Davies. The revelation found its way into Lake's newspaper obituary. According to the intriguing tale, Hearst arranged for Lake to be born in secret in a Catholic hospital near Paris, sometime between 1919 and 1923. Subsequently, the child was entrusted to Davis's sister, Rose, who had tragically lost her own infant. Rose and her husband, George Van Cleef, raised Lake as their own, skillfully concealing her true parentage. Hearst contributed to Lake's education, and both Hearst and Davies maintained a notable presence in her life. Remarkably, Davis is said to have disclosed Lake's genuine lineage when the child was just 11 years old. Furthermore, her supposedly confirmed his fatherhood on her wedding day at the age of 17, where both Davies and Hurst proudly gave her away. Nevertheless, compelling evidence casts skepticism over these claims. Lake's documented birth date in 1990 aligns with birthday telegrams and photographic records. Notably, Davies did not embark on her first European journey until 1922. Furthermore, no trace of pregnancy is evident in Davies's film appearances from 1919. In response to allegations of Lake's parentage, a Hearst Castle spokesperson dismissed it as an ancient and unsubstantiated rumour. But this is not the only scandal in Marion Davis's life. There's also the Inns scandal. To be quite honest, I don't know how you pronounce it. It could be the Inch scandal or the Inns scandal. It is spelled I-N-C-E and it's the last name of producer Thomas Inns. I will call him Inns. So, in November 1924, a tragic incident occurred during a weekend party on Hearst's yacht, the Oneida. Inns allegedly experienced acute indigestion during the yacht party and was later removed from the vessel in San Diego with the assistance of Hearst studio manager Dr. Daniel Goodman. Inns was then transported by train to Los Angeles but was taken off the train at Del Mar when his condition worsened. 
Inns reportedly mentioned having consumed strong liquor on Hearst's yacht. Ultimately, Inns passed away at his Hollywood residence. But following Inns' death, rumors began circulating that Hearst had fatally shot Inns due to Inns making unwanted advances towards Davies. An alternate version of the rumor suggested that Hearst mistook Inns for Charlie Chaplin, who was allegedly involved with Davies, leading to a violent confrontation out of jealousy. Charlie Chaplin's valet claimed to have seen Inns being carried off the yard with a pleading hat wound, corroborating the rumors. Screenwriter Eleanor Clinton, who was present at the party, asserted that everybody on the yard had been sworn to secrecy and thus raising suspicions. Despite the ongoing rumors, a public inquiry by District Attorney Chester C. Campley of San Diego officially attributed Inces' death to heart failure, resulting from acute indigestion. Nevertheless, the rumors persisted. Another very interesting part of Marion Davis's legacy is the Susan Cain story. If you like movies and if you like Hollywood, and especially old Hollywood, you do know Orson Welles' Citizen Kane from 1941. And in this movie, there's the character of Susan Alexander Kane. And this person has often been mistaken for being inspired by Marion Davies. However, Wells himself consistently refuted this notion, asserted that Susan Alexander was not based on Davies. Nevertheless, the release of the now famous movie caused a severe blow to Marion Davies's reputation, as the movie was a not very concealed biopic on William Randolph Hearst, and Davies, as his mistress, was immediately identified to be the inspiration behind Kane's second wife. Many resemblances piled on the evidence, like the wife being a showgirl, having limited talent, being promoted nevertheless, and living with Kane on a huge estate. That's why Davies, later on, was deemed an unremarkable actress, her films unimpressive and unprofitable. Obituaries during her prolonged battle with cancer even perpetuated the falsehood that she was a mediocre and unpopular actress during her lifetime. However, this narrative does not align with reality. Contrary to this myth, most of Davies's films were commercially successful and she remained a beloved star throughout her career. Notably, she held the title of the number one female box office star for the years 1922 and 1923, as I mentioned earlier. Orson Welles himself clarified in his autobiography, The Times We Had, that Susan Alexander Kane was not Davies. He highlighted the stark differences between Susan and Marion, emphasizing that Marion was Hearst's cherished treasure for over three decades, while Susan was portrayed as a puppet and a prisoner in the film. He emphasized that Marion Davies was a far more exceptional and remarkable woman than the character in Citizen Kane. In the years following her death, there was a re-evaluation of Marion Davies's legacy. Greater access to her notable films allowed for a more accurate assessment of her talents as an actress, and over time film critics grew more appreciative of her contributions, especially in the realm of comedy. Biographers noted that if Hearst had allowed Davis's exceptional comedic talents to shine in a series of bright comedies, her screen reputation would have been better shielded from the controversies surrounding Citizen Kane and her legacy would have been kept alive. In her later years, Marion Davies garnered a reputation for her benevolence. She was particularly noted for her acts of kindness and extensive charitable contributions. During the 1920s, she had developed a keen interest in children's charities, generously donating over $1 million to these causes. 
1952, she made a substantial donation of $1.9 million to establish a children's clinic at UCLA. Subsequently, it would bear her name. So, as I said in the beginning, Marian Davis was truly a very interesting person that I envisioned to have been so lively and enchanting. But her life story does have some important lessons for us that I took out of it and I just want to share. So, the first which stands out for me is find the place that you are valued at. So Marion Davis stayed with Hearst because he valued her and he made her feel valuable and worthy and enough. And that is really it. It is so important to be where you are valued, to not let other people dim your light because you are worthy, you are valuable, you are enough. And if someone, a social circle of any kind, gives you the feeling of being valuable and worthy, this is the place where you belong. And she did that. She stayed with Hearst, even though he might not have been the perfect guy, <laughs> she stayed with him. And I just think it's a very important lesson. Another very important lesson that I get from her life story is always play your strength and do not let anybody tell you what to do. You know yourself best. I mean, it is so tragic that this woman had like immense comedic talent and was not allowed to shine in like light comedies and bring out her strengths and her timing and like be just the person she was born to be because this very powerful man kept her like in those very heavy historical dramas. So even though she loved him, even though he valued her, she undermined her own personality and her strengths. And I think it's just a shame. So for your own life, please your strength and always do what is best for you because you have been in your life's business longer than anybody else and you know yourself better than anybody else. So do the things that you know that you excel at. And the third one is invest wisely and surround yourself with those knowing more than you do because this is how you learn. I think I left it out of the summary of her life, but because Davies was with Hearst and she got a lot of shares and she was very involved like in the whole wealth management, she had access to his advisors. She knew how to invest in properties as she did in New York. And you know, if you had like investments in New York properties in the 1950s, I mean, you were set for life. So she knew that. She did not rely on the money that she made as an actress. And that is important for any kind of field that you're working and whether you're an actress or an engineer, you have to plan for the future. You have to know how to deal with money and you have to know how to provide for yourself, especially if you are a woman. So learn about investments, learn about real estate, learn about all these things and find the people that know a little bit more than you do because then you learn and you get better with it. This is what I have learned from this very interesting woman. And there are many more life lessons, but I think these are the three most important ones. And this one has been a very long episode. I know that, but I think it was worth it. <laughs> so I hope you had fun learning about Marion Davies. Next week, I have another good one because that would be her very good friend, Louise Brooks. So tune in next week and I hope you're having a really good time until then. And just thank you for being here. Have a good one. Bye.